Amen. Let's continue in prayer. Heavenly Father, draw us to your cross. Keep calling us to your cross, Lord. Jesus, would you be evident upon this platform this morning? Would you speak to us in the same way you spoke to your disciples through the power of the Holy Spirit this morning, God? We need you every second, Lord. I need you. Lord, may there be less of us and more of you. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is a great, great Sunday. It's a Sunday that calls for much gladness, calls for much joy. And why is that? Well, we think about where we have come through this Lenten series, through this time of Lent. We've been studying the words of Jesus to his disciples. The very first week we began this series, we see as Jesus stood on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and called out to some fishermen and said, come, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And these disciples and these men from various walks of life began to follow Jesus. And Jesus took them on a journey. And we, in 2019, are able to go on that same journey through the Word of God, through the Scriptures, through four various accounts. It's a beautiful thing. We watched Jesus bring sight to the blind. We watched him cast out demons. We heard Jesus give us many commands. We heard through our superintendent a reminder to be excited about this following of Jesus. Excited about what he is doing. We heard the great command to go into all the earth with this message. We look now into the Gospel of John in this account. John chapter 12, we have the triumphant entry, Palm Sunday. We saw the children as we walked down the aisles with their palm branches, reminding us of that glorious day. Now, it's an interesting day to think about because there's a little bit of misunderstanding on the parts of the people that were waving the palms. And maybe some misunderstanding on the parts of evil forces. Okay, Luke, what do you mean? Jesus came from the Mount of Olives, came down on a donkey, just as the scriptures said he would, as the prophecies said he would. He entered during Passover into Jerusalem, just as the scriptures said the Messiah would do. The Jewish people at this time under the occupation of Rome had just a few years before that been going through different revolts, different zealots. Some of the disciples were zealots, which were rebels, essentially. And these Jews were getting awful tired of the Romans occupying them. And the prophecies of this Messiah would be the one who would restore the nation of Jerusalem. He would be the political leader that would kick out the Romans or whoever occupied them. Would finally bring the temple back to its rightful place and Judaism to its rightful place. He was the, that was what they believed the Messiah would be. So as they see and hear of this Jesus' this teacher... He's coming into Jerusalem. They're waving their palm branches, laying them down before him as a sign of of kingship and a sign of victory. And we can also think about the spiritual forces 
fallen dark forces from the time of Tower of Babel that had fallen into the earth that had the dominion. The Apostle Paul speaks about them, uh, spiritual forces of acts of darkness and dominions of darkness. They saw this Jesus coming. And they know here's their Messiah. What are we going to do? We'll kill him. End of story. No nation state. No no, uh, reclaiming of the nations. No uh, nation of Jerusalem. No tabernacle of God. We'll kill the Messiah. So death would be a very bad thing. And also in the eyes of the Jews, Jesus dying would not make much sense. He's the one who's supposed to sharpen the swords and get going. So we see here, he comes in his triumphal entry. He spent three years with these disciples. We've gone through this a quick couple of weeks, seeing the highlights of different things he's done. John chapter 13, Jesus brings the disciples into the upper room. And a couple of very important things happen there. The Last Supper, which we will celebrate on Thursday, Monday, Thursday, Mandate Thursday, a new mandate, a new command I give you, which follows here. So Jesus has the Last Supper. He then washes the disciples' feet. Now, remember, they came in with Jesus and the donkey and they were like, oh, yeah, here's the Messiah. We're about to take, you know, things are coming back. And then Judas is like, let me wash your feet. The Last Supper, there's some confusion happening here in the disciples. What's he pointing at here? Even Peter says, Jesus, you can't wash my feet. You're our commander. Ain't none of that happening. You need to get up and get going. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm here to serve you. Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet. If I don't become the servant, you have no claim in me. You have no heir with me. And Peter, well, then not my feet, but my whole body. Judas, Iscariot, is sent out to betray Jesus. And then the mandate, Monday, Thursday, the new command is given. Love one another as I have loved you. It says the beginning of chapter 13, he loved them to the end. Love, very important here. And we'll speak more about that. And then Jesus continues to hint at his leaving. And not just his leaving, but his dying. And and Jesus is speaking clear to the disciples. And Peter again steps up and says, where are you going, Lord? What do you mean you're leaving? What do you mean? You just came in in the triumphant entry, just like the prophecy said you would do, just like scriptures have told us. It's time. It's time to roll. You're leaving? Wait, not, you're not just leaving. You're going to die? Isn't that exactly what shouldn't happen? Discouragement sets in. And you can see the verbiage and the word here of the Lord. He begins, do not let your hearts be worried. Do not, do not. Do not be troubled. Do not be afraid. He begins to give them encouragement. And what we have here in this passage of of John chapter 14 is what we call the farewell discourse. The farewell discourse. Where Jesus, it's such an encouraging, all the way into chapter 17, so encouraging because Jesus lays out promise after promise after promise for those who love him. Let these words encourage you. Jesus continues speaking to his disciples after these things had passed. And he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, advocate, one who stands in your behalf to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, you know him, 
What? The spirit of truth? I mean the spirit that dwells in the tabernacle? The spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him, does not love him, does not know him. But you know him. For he dwells with you. He stands with you here. If you have seen the Father, you've seen me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He dwells with you and will be, what? In you. This is a huge claim, huge promise. The disciples are, you know, our 2019 Christian eyes, Christianese understanding of the Spirit of God can understand this, can wrap our heads around it a little bit. But this is a very large claim, particularly for these Jewish disciples. What do you mean the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of the tabernacle, the triune God, Jesus himself is going to be in us? What on earth? So first question we have to ask to understand this command, this first part, if you love me. So what does it mean to love Jesus. Now in English, we have one word for love. Love. I love a sandwich. I love my wife. They mean very different things, even though I'm using one word. In the Greek, there are four words for love in various forms. You have agape, which here is agape, gapote, if you. So agape is, and here's a direct definition, a person says to welcome, to entertain, to be fond of, to love dearly. It's a sacrificial, godly love of things. It is to be well-pleased, to be contented, to delight. Agape. You have storge, which is love between a family. Phileo, which is brotherly love, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And then you have eros, which is romantic love. Jesus here uses the word and often uses the word agape, love, the love of God, delighting in love. So if you delight in me, if you welcome me, entertain me, fond of me, abide in me, as Jesus says, one of his commandments is to abide in him. How great is that? You will keep my commands. And the word keep we can see is tereo. Tereo, which means to meditate on, to guard. If you delight in me, if you abide in me, you will meditate on my commands. Why? Because they're life. They're blessings. As we'll continue to see what that, what that means. So first, a couple points here within this, what it means to love Jesus. I've got to make this super clear to you. It's so, so important. This is really the foundation of many things. Loving Jesus is not merely obeying Jesus. Love for Jesus, love for Jesus is the source of obeying him. Love must be prior to obedience. Obedience does not come first to earn love. Love, then obedience. Love is our outpouring. Think about this in your own life, your marriage, your children. I can say, why does Jamie love me? Why do I love Jamie, my wife? Why do I love my little 10-month-old, today actually, Nora? Why do I love her? Is it because she obeys me? Is it because she does everything I tell her to do? Is it because my wife is perfectly faithful to me in every way? Is that why I love her? Or do I love her for who she is? I enjoy her. I delight in her. I'm fond of her. She completes me. The same of of little Nora. She doesn't always obey me, but I love her because I'm fond of her. I delight in her. She's my daughter. 
Her obedience is not what earns my love. And she's not obedient to me to get that love. It is not keep my commands and then love me. Nor does it say keep my commands and love me at the same time. But love is put first. Because it is first in importance, as we just said. It's everything, our love is why we do things for one another. I love Jamie, therefore I am faithful to her. I love Nora, therefore I take care of her. And likewise. But it's first because it's first in importance and first in experience. What do I mean by that? The Apostle Paul. Many, many of his of uh, his letters tie into this. For this very reason, I, the Apostle Paul, was shown mercy, was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, he was shown mercy. Romans 2, 4. Or do you show contempt for the richness of kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness, his showing his action is intended to lead you to repentance? His love is first in importance and first in experience. He loves us first. He leads us to himself, to repentance. Therefore, love must be first in our importance if we're going to ever be obedient. Are you following me? The only reason anyone loves Jesus is because they were first loved by God. It's over and over and over. First John 4, we love because he first loved us. Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, still not being obedient, Christ died for us. You can't love Jesus. You can't admire Jesus. You can't be obedient to Jesus. You can't do any work for Jesus. You can't find beauty in Jesus, joy in Jesus, unless you are born Again, born of the Spirit of God. This is so key why John puts verse, uh, chapter 3 early in his gospel. Being born again is everything. You look at this. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And then Jesus goes into a list of promises for those who love him. If you do not love Jesus, and he makes this clear. John makes this clear. If you do not believe, if you do not step forward in faith, Believe on his name. These promises are not true of you. You have to know that. You have to get that straight. These promises are blessings and life and truth. But you have to believe. If not, and you try to go straight to obedience, Jesus and everything about him and the church and religion and everything we do here will taste bad. It will become a duty. It will become religion. Everything about Jesus should be satisfying. It should be rest. If you put obedience before love, you get duty. You get religion. And if you put obedience before love in your marriage, same thing. It's terrible. If you put it before in your kids, same thing. Terrible. Write this down, mark it well. I tell you, the devil hates it when you take notes. 
Remember this. Jesus is telling us something so important. Obedience is so important. But you've got to know your love first. There is no sanctification, growing deeper in Christ, working His commands, loving Him without justification first. You cannot put sanctification before justification. Justification is your repentance, your being born, your receiving of the Spirit of God. The born-again believer, therefore, strives towards holiness because they understand that His commands give life. John six sixty eight. Jesus is pulling all these crowds. Everyone's starting to follow Him. He's healing people. He's saying all this crazy stuff. He's sticking it to, to the, the religious Pharisees. Everyone's like, yeah, let's follow this guy. And then Jesus begins to talk about the communion table. He's going to talk about his death, which they're not completely understanding. He says, you must eat of my body, drink of my blood. People are like, whoa, deuces, we're out. That's, that's too much. And the disciples are like, uh, Jesus. And it was just them that was left. <laughs> they're like, uh, what was all that about? And Jesus says, uh, they said, well, that's a hard saying. And Jesus said, well, are you going to leave me too? Are you going to leave me for what I've said? And the disciples rise up. Where else can we go? Your word is life. Your words are life. This is why the psalmist David, he, he said, I love your laws. I love your statutes. I love your ways. Because they're life. They're blessing. This was so key for me. If you're a young person, if you're an old person, if you're a middle person, if you're a baby, <laughs> this is true for us to remember throughout our life. It was so key. For, I was 16 years old. Grew up in a, my, as a pastor's kid of two pastors. And I remember it was a lot of obedience. And it was a lot of walking in step. And when the Spirit of God struck me and I heard these words, I began to realize that the words of Jesus, the commands of what it means to be a Christian, a little Christ, is a blessing. It's life. Where His Word is, there is life. My world was being changed because of His commands. We seek Him, His holiness. We abide in Him. We are delighted in Him because we know His words are life. Someone who does not love Him will never see His words as life. If you are not in the state of repentance, if you're not in every minute calling out, Lord, I need you, you'll never see His words as life. Why would you call for Him in the first place? Romans 5, 1-2 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through that faith, that belief, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith, into this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in the sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the way of suffering. This is Jesus says, pick up your cross, follow me. Where did Jesus go? With the cross. Down the Via Dolorosa, the way of sufferings. To the hill of death, to be crucified. And through that, and through following Him, and through His Spirit, we boast in it. Loving Jesus is first. 
Receiving, abiding, believing, delighting. This is loving Jesus. All else flows from that. The doing is fruit, not root. Write that down. The doing is fruit. It's not the root. And the same is true for those who love darkness rather than light. Their craving, their joy, the satisfaction. It's on the flip side. You know this is true. Satisfaction is in darkness and it produces dark fruit. John 3 again. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the agape darkness. That's me. That's you. Before the Spirit of God. Before being born of spirit. Rather than light because their works were evil. If you love the darkness, your fruits will be darkness. You love the light. You love Jesus, you'll keep his commands. Your fruit will be his. You are controlled by what you love. Period. That can be a million different things. You are controlled by what you love. Charles Spurgeon, great preacher from London in the 1800s, has a great quote that has helped me a lot understand this. He says this, The great flywheel which moves the whole machinery of life is fixed in the heart. Hence, this is the most important of all suggestions. If you love me, if you love me is a searching sound. I start as I hear it. He that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ for his salvation, he that believes, produces as the first fruit of their faith, love to Christ. This must be in us and abound or nothing is right. Nothing Packed away within that box of sweets called love, you shall find every holy thing. But if you have no love, what have you? Though you wear your fingers to the bone with service, weep your eyes out with repentance, make your knees hard with kneeling, and dry your throat with shouting, yet if the heart does not beat with love, your religion falls to the ground like a withered leaf in autumn. Love is the chief jewel in the bracelet of obedience. Love is the chief jewel in the bracelet of obedience. Hear the text and mark it well. If you love me, keep my commands. The promise goes on. You ready? And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, an advocate to be with you forever. This is key. Circle. Advocate. Helper. This is what we rest upon. To be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, yes, you know Him, the one in the tabernacle, the Spirit of God, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him because it does not love Him. You know Him, though, because He dwells with you. He washed your feet. And He will be in you. Circle, in you. This is huge, mind-blowing stuff, particularly, like I said, for the disciples. He'll be in us. We'll become living tabernacles. So what are those promises for those who love Jesus, for those who believe? What are the promises? Well, the Holy Spirit's help. Love from the Father. And blessed assurance. Forever. A sign, seal, a mark, and a scent. The Spirit of God. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus himself will come back. 
Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You will live. Now, disciples begin to kind of scratch their head here. What is he talking about? In that day, you will know that I am in my Father. In that day, what are you talking about? And you in me, and I in you. Listen to the promises. Will know. I in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by the Father. Promise. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Manifest myself to him. Promise. When you love Jesus... God comes to you with something more. His Spirit. For His own. For His flock. His Spirit. This is the key to obedience, to life, to marriage, to assurance, to overcoming sin. The power, the advocacy, the help. The being born into the Spirit of God. Judas, now as I said, they were kind of confused. Judas is not Iscariot. Very important note there. Not Iscariot said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself, become man to us, but not to the world? Will you be like invisible? How's that going to work? Clearly still not getting it. And we got, you know, we have to have uh, some understanding here. Acts chapter 2, things begin to make sense. He speaks about in that day when the Spirit of God comes in, even Peter, the one who just stood up before Jesus, who would... Uh, reject Jesus, that he even ever knew him after Jesus gave them all these commands. How, how's that going to work, Jesus? Jesus answered him again in the same way. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. My father will love him and, he, and we will come promise to him and make our home with him. We will dwell in him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, obviously. Vice versa to that. Therefore, God will not manifest, will not dwell within him. They do not love me. They do not delight, do not delight in me. And the word that you hear is not mine, but it's the Father's who sent me. Romans 8, 5. Romans is packed with understanding. The Apostle Paul knew this and he preached it time and time again in his letters. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit Desires. John chapter 3. You must be born again, not of flesh, but of the Spirit. Therefore, if you are born of the Spirit, you become in accordance with the Spirit. This is lock and key when Jesus says, if you love me. So if you have been born again, you receive the Spirit. You will keep my commands because it's the Spirit in you. We just sang earlier the righteousness of Christ within us. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. The Spirit is set on what God desires to glorify God. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life. You see why you must be born again to love Jesus. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, and you will live by the Spirit. By obedience you put to death. No. By the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. Therefore you keep the commands. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Blessed assurance. 
For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, continued Romans 8, 5, but you fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, adopted first in importance and experience. I was shown mercy. I was led by the, to repentance because of what Jesus has done. You are adopted by belief to where we can cry, Abba, Father. We delight in our Father. It's like a little baby, a little Nora looks up to me. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. Do you see how this is just full of in the Scripture? The Scripture is, is, this is just half of some of the verses I could show to you to how this is continuously played out. That we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him in eternity with the Father, in worship with the Father. We therefore can have assurance of our love for Jesus. Our love for Jesus, because we take on the Spirit of God when you're born again. Blessed assurance. The triune nature of God dwells in us and can do nothing else but glory in mutual obedience. Trying to keep the Spirit of God from glorifying God is like trying to hold a beach ball underwater. It will come up. It will glorify God. And if it's living in you, how can you do anything but be driven towards his glory? You're justified. Then this is what sanctification is. Every hour needing Jesus being driven towards the cross. He's calling. He's calling us to the cross. Sanctification being drawn because why is he calling? Because our spirit is drawing. Is longing. Is being pulled towards the cross of Christ. To what? To what end? To glorification with Him forever. In His house there are many rooms. I go and prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would not tell you. He's calling us. He's drawing you. Your spirit loves the Spirit of God. It's been, if it's been made new, is this true for you? Verse after verse. I won't go into all these, but... Ephesians 1.18, I ask that the eyes of the heart may be enlightened so that you may know the hope of his calling, the riches of his glorious inheritance, inheritance in the saints. We have this hope, Hebrews 6.19, as an anchor for the soul, this assurance, firm and steadfast. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Second Corinthians is a great, great verse. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph. You hear that? The Spirit of God always causes us to triumph in who? Christ, our righteousness, and makes manifest the Savior of His knowledge by us in every place. Colossians 1.18, which is Christ in you, Christ in us, the Holy Spirit, the assurance, the hope of glory. Amen. Is this making sense? This is the gospel, friends. I end with this. It's an old, older hymn from the 1800s. It goes as such. If you know it, you can join in. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living, whatever men may say. I see His hand of mercy 
I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we glorify your name. We praise you. Lord Jesus, thank you for sending your son. Lord God, thank you for sending Jesus. Lord, draw us to the cross. Draw us this week, Lord, to an understanding of the resurrection. Lord, I pray for those who have yet to believe, who do not believe, Lord, that you would work in them. That you would resurrect them. That you would draw them to repentance, Father. If there's anyone in this room whose heart is pounding, Lord, continue to make it pound. Draw them to you, Lord. Bring revival to our people. Bring revival to Salina, Lord, to our nation. Your news is good. It is good. It is good. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.